Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to uh, Revelation chapter 3. And after uh, all this wonderful worship, all we have to do is cover one little chapter in the book of Revelation. And uh, <laughs> we might have bit off more than anyone could ever dare chew. But uh, let's stand for the reading of God's word. I will read a portion of that. And we will cover the entire thing today. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I've not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you'll not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, thank you for your letters, your words to churches so long ago that were preserved for your churches down through the centuries and today and to St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church. We believe it. It's true. It's infallible. It has all of your authority. And so, Lord, give us hearts that are submissive to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. And I, too, want to congratulate you on your 38th anniversary. Most of us have come to the church sometime after that first Sunday. But I am curious, and I think the rest of the church uh, people here today would be as well. If you were at that first service of the church, will you raise your hand? Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. Well, thank you. Um, any church that lasts 38 years goes through good times and difficult times. And the fact that you are still here uh, speaks deeply of your loyalty and your perseverance and your love for St. Andrews, but it also speaks of this church and this portion of the body of Christ. So 
Four years ago on Anniversary Sunday, we began looking each year. I was doing, uh, I'm doing a series, one a year, and uh, because people have always said, I want you to preach on the book of Revelation, and so this was my way of satisfying <laughs> anyone that ever said that. And so uh, we, we have looked in the last few years at Ephesus, then Smyrna, then Pergamum, and Thyatira, and this year we are looking at the last three of the seven. Each church that Jesus addressed had a different personality, a different history, and different challenges. But there are churches like them all the way down through the centuries. And even if their church isn't exactly like them, a church may go through a phase where they face something like what is being addressed, or a church can be a combination of, of the issues and challenges and the good things that are mentioned in these. And so each year for me, as I've prepared this, it's been sobering to look at what Jesus said to these churches and, and to consider how that applies to St. Andrews. And I think it's a good thing to do on, on anniversaries. We've celebrated the blessings. But each year, although uh, preparing this message has been sobering, it has also ultimately been so encouraging to me because the one who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze loved us enough to die for us and he will never leave us. And that's what it always comes down to, even with all of those challenges. So let's look at these three churches uh, we will, we will uh, look at each of them briefly. The first one is Sardis. And this is how I've summarized uh, what he says in verses 1 through 6. You look alive, but you're dead. You who are still alive, don't give up. So here's what he says in verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who has seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Looks can be deceiving. First Samuel 16, verse 7. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So what about that church? Sardis. He said, you've got a reputation that you're alive. So picture this, bring it maybe into our day. You got uh, uh, other, somebody in another church saying, wow, look at that church over there. Man, their calendar is slam full. They're doing something all the time. Every time you turn around. That church has something going. A church can be busy and dead at the same time. And that's what we see here. 
He's saying, look, here's your, here's your reputation, but, but I know you. I'm not fooled by outward appearances. So he says, verse 2, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I've not found your works complete in the sight of my God. They had incomplete works. Secret sins evidently had crept in. Secret sins, I say, because because people from the outside wouldn't have necessarily seen them. They had a, a good reputation. And if they had a bunch of outward sins or abuses, their reputation wouldn't have been good. So what kind of secret sins might we think of? I mean, those were good folks. They were busy about doing lots of stuff. But think about our day. What kinds of things are under the surface that others will not see, but nevertheless, God sees? Here's some that I know, and I'm, I'm sorry to say I know because in churches that I've served, I've, I've dealt with these things, just a few. The use of pornography, unfaithfulness in marriage, abuse of substances or alcohol, pre- people pretending to be Christians when, when one really knows they aren't. Jesus knows. He, he knows that like he knew that in Sardis. And here's, here's what he says. Verse 3, remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you do not wake up, I'll come like a thief and you will uh, not know at what hour I'll come against you. Bottom line is, Yes, you have this outward reputation, and you might be perfectly happy with that. But because you call on my name, you, you don't get away with this forever. Paul said over in Romans 13, besides this, in verse 11, he says, Besides this, you know the time uh, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Hear that same phrase? For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. He's saying, look, this is not going to go on forever. And then back to Sardis, verse 4. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He's saying there's a remnant, even even among all of this sin that's going on, there is a remnant, and it's a faithful remnant among you. A few names in Sardis. And here, Jesus encourages them. 
He said, remember what you've received. What would that be? Well, well, the word from God and salvation. Remember that and keep it and repent. That's the application. You've been given everything you need for salvation, for living a, a life of a follower of Christ. Remember it, keep it, and repent where you need to. What will happen then? Verse 5. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So for those who are his, those who remain in Christ, there is an assurance of salvation. You don't have to worry that God is going to uh, forget about you or uh, punish you because others around you are faking it. He knows their heart. He knows your heart as well. And he will never forsake those who are truly his children. Don't worry. And then we go to the second church. Philadelphia. If you go about 30 miles uh, southeast of Sardis, the church we just talked about, so about from here to Newberry or so, just uh, by way of distance, you found Philadelphia. What do we think of? The city of brotherly love. Um, And hopefully that city was more brotherly love than the one in the United States, right? They're not always known for that, at least to their sports teams. They're they're pretty difficult on them. Well, this Philadelphia was called uh, the Little Athens because its leaders aspired to be like Athens, Greece. And Bacchus, some of you know what that's the god of. It's the god of wine. That was a God that they worshiped. And he had a divine mission. His mission was to play the flute and drive away worry and care. That's the kind of God they wanted to follow. But of the seven churches, the unique thing about what Jesus said to the church of of Philadelphia was that there's no complaint against them. All of the others... Something good would be said, but then they'd say, but I have this against you. And that's simply not the case here. For some of them, they had very, some of the churches had very difficult words to hear. Let's listen to what he says to this church, verse 7. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one's able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So I want to focus just on that that last part of uh, verse 8. He says he knows they have but little power, but even with that, they've been faithful. So they were 
ever increasingly in a hostile environment. The church was uh, the church in Philadelphia. They were a small community. They were in the minority. They had few rights. And yet they remained in Christ. So Christ is the one that holds that key of David and opened the door for them. It was not them busting down the door to the kingdom. He opened it and he says, no one can shut it. So then he gives further encouragement to this small community of believers through a series of promises. So, so you picture this, you're feeling persecuted. You're feeling your smallness. We're so outnumbered, nobody gets us. Maybe even people hate us. They despise us. And then he says this. Behold, verse 9, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are, are not but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet. And they will learn that I have loved you because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Perhaps better translation than I will keep you from the hour of trial is I will keep you through the hours of trials. There's a difference. Jesus had said that earlier in John 16. John 16, he said, in me you may have peace. I said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. See, that was his message. Yeah, you're, you're gonna have troubles, but take heart. There's, I've already overcome this world. So for believers in that day, they either had been persecuted, they were being persecuted, or at some point they probably would be persecuted. It was on the horizon. But then he gives the ultimate promise that uh, they actually never saw and a promise that we're still waiting for ourselves. Verse 11. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. So was that even true? How, how could he say, I, I'm coming soon? It wasn't during their lifetime or their children or grandchildren or their grandchildren's grandchildren and, and so on. So how could that be soon? Here's what it was saying. That the next redemptive act from God the Father is that Jesus is coming again. And when we hear soon, we think of our little timeline. And soon is never soon enough for us. But we know that God doesn't have to work on our timeline, the one to whom a thousand years is as a day and one day is as a thousand years. He is coming quickly and that 
promise was given for every generation to have the hope that Jesus may be coming soon. And that was the good thing for them. That was encouragement to them. I hope it's soon now. I hope it'll be really soon by my timeline. But if not, it will be in the perfect time. And so here's the great hope he presented, verse 12. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. So you get the picture, the temple with these two great pillars, and he is saying to this tiny, weak church, this fearful group of believers, I'm going to make you a pillar of the temple. (laughs) I don't need other pillars. I'm going to make you into that. And then he says, stand firm, take courage. And then he ends this like he does the other messages to the churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then finally, there's Laodicea. Perhaps of the seven churches, many people remember two things out of this passage, and and a lot of people don't even know the the context of those two things, but they know those two things. They are familiar to many people, I think you'll realize which those are. Look at verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. Here's one of those things that's familiar to many. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot, So because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So here's the question. I think a lot of people might wonder this. Why does it seem worse to be lukewarm than to be cold? You know, in terms we talk about, if if you say somebody's cold toward the Lord, that's, that's not a good thing. You know, we, we want to be warm, we want to be hot toward the Lord and so on. Why, why does he say uh, lukewarm is the worst to be? Well, let me explain what this would have meant to the Laodicean church and to others who knew about the Laodicean church. In that city, they had a terrible unusable water supply. Stay with me here. 16 miles upstream from them was Colossae. And uh, we have the book of Colossians. Colossae was there. And it was famed for its, its, its cold, clean spring water. How refreshing is that? Of course. 
And then coming 10 miles down from there, six miles upstream from Laodicea was Hierapolis. And they were famed for their thermal springs, hot springs. You know, just like here, people go to hot springs for healing and for for purity and things like that. But here's what happened. As the water went downstream from those, those hot springs, it was clean. But then it, it went over a, a cliff, some 300-foot cliff, and it cooled off as it went over that and continued on downstream. And by the time it got to Laodicea, it was polluted and lukewarm. Those who tried to drink it would find themselves sick. It wouldn't stay down. So that's what's being referred to. And by the way, the word there where it's, he says he'll spit you out, it's even stronger than that. I'm sorry for this, but what he was saying is, I'll vomit you. I mean, projectile, it's, uh, it's, an, it's, it's going out with extreme disgust. So here's what the message is. Being lukewarm, being mediocre, makes Jesus gag. It is so disgusting to him. That's what he's saying. And then he explains it. What, you know, he refers to their attitude. How are they lukewarm? Well, verse 17. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. See what he's saying? He is addressing the pride they have, saying, we got everything we need. And he says, you you just don't get it. You don't have anything you need in terms of our relationship. But Jesus gives them the alternative, and the alternative is to come to him. Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. And then he says this, if they're stinging over that, he says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. If you're stinging over this rebuke, no, it's, I'm rebuking you because I love you. So repent. And then he says this, Verse 20, the second familiar term. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Now, this may be one of the most misunderstood and misapplied verses in the New Testament. It's usually presented this way, and there's a famous painting like this. It's usually presented as as Jesus standing outside the door, and I've heard preachers preach on this in terms of using it, talking about salvation, and they said, look, look at the door. Of course, it's the painting of the door that the artist thought it would be. And, and look, Jesus is on the outside, and there's no handle on the outside. So if we are to have salvation, I've heard this sermon, maybe you have too. If we are to have salvation, you have to open the door to Jesus, because the only handle is on the inside. That's not how salvation works. And that's not what this is even talking about. Jesus doesn't need our permission for him to enter our life in salvation. He gives us a new heart while we are still his enemies. We would never open the door if he was somewhere on the outside. We couldn't. And, you know, if you want to do a correct painting pertaining to salvation, there's no handle on the inside. (laughs) It's only on the outside with Jesus coming in. But this is not talking about salvation. It's aimed at the converted, at those who call themselves Christ followers who are lukewarm in their faith. And it's about discipline. He just said that. Verse 19, the verse right before that, says, Those who I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. So one commentator explained it this way. This verse is not addressing the status of an individual's heart, but is instead a call for the church in Laodicea to repent for having departed from the gospel of the kingdom Christ gave it to proclaim. So here's the problem, and here's what it is. That church had forgotten its mission, and that was what was being addressed here. And he's saying, if you don't repent of that, I will throw open the door of discipline to you. Now look, I'm sorry if I wrecked that beautiful picture that's in your living room, okay? (laughs) But the next time somebody comes, I'm not telling you to take it down. Next time somebody comes, just say, oh, yeah, that's not about salvation. It's about discipline, okay, just so you know. But Jesus goes on to say this, and here's the hope. Verse 21, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. Can you imagine? To sit with him on his throne. So I also conquered and sat down with the Father on his throne. What a promise. What a Savior that would promise that. 
three churches and three messages. Dear, dear people of St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church, may we be challenged from Laodicea if our faith has become lukewarm and we, we're just fine with that. May we repent so that we will sit on the throne with Jesus. May we, may we learn from the church in Sardis that God sees us as we really are. And if we're playing games, if we're trying to hide from him, just trying to keep up our reputation, know that we are exposed before him. But in Christ, we will be clothed in white garments. He will never blot out our name out of the book of life. And he will confess our names before his father and before his angels. And may we be like that church in Philadelphia with little power. That's us. A little church with little power. And yet, keeping his word and never denying his name. Because of that, may we have the name of God written on us and be always encouraged that Jesus is coming again soon. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the messages to those churches, but, but to us. Help us as we look deep into our hearts and help us always to see that it's all about Jesus. May we return if we have grown lukewarm. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.